All right, guys, you may or may not know this, but hunting ain't easy. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, your host, and I'm coming at you from the Broken Tine Studio. You guessed it, right here in Clark Fork, Idaho. Appreciate you guys tuning in as we roll along through this here winter wonderland of uh, North Idaho and, and beyond. Uh, it's it's so wintry and so snowy, I have to live vicariously through my, uh, my like my new friend here, Mike Costello from Huntin' Ain't Easy. And uh, Mike is a somebody that I was introduced to just recently, and I'm pretty excited to talk to him. Uh, I think he's got a really good perspective on some of the issues that we're dealing with. We're going to be talking hunting. Uh, we're going to be talking all sorts of stuff. And stay tuned. We've got some giveaway um, contests, so to speak, coming up uh, in the next couple of episodes. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, without further ado, I'm just going to go ahead and get Mike on right now. Mike, brother, appreciate you coming hey. on, and uh, <laughs> thanks for joining me, man. I'm uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm cracking up because I've heard your intro a lot. Um, <laughs> basically, if I'm if I'm in the car driving to go hunt or uh-huh. to go scout or hike or ski, it's uh, as my entire family knows, it's podcast time. And yeah. So, <laughs> I, oh man. I like. <laughs> I knew I knew we like, were alike, man. Yeah. Yeah. No. I I became a a, a heavy consumer of um, of podcasts. Uh, about a year and a half ago and um i i enjoy yours i i mean there's so much out there that Mm -hmm. can be learned just by listening to you know people's hunting stories people's perspectives um and i have i've definitely picked up a lot about my own hunting tactics through through it so i I, I'm, i'm excited to be here um, I don't know if I have a lot to share just yet because I'm still pretty new to the game, but uh, I've enjoyed listening, that's for sure. You know, I tuned into the first, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes or so of that Zoom meeting that you guys, you put on mm-hmm. last last week, uh, and I would not I would have never have guessed that you were uh, only, you know, five, six years into hunting. Um, yeah. And so, and, and I agree, man, what, what a day we're living in when, when there's so much content out there and resources for people to, and, and it doesn't matter if it's hunting or, or something else, basket weaving, you know, uh, mm-hmm. there, there's so much content and, and access to free information that it's definitely made me a better hunter. Just, uh, listening to podcasts and doing my own podcast, you know, it's, it's crazy. So, and yeah. you, you've got your own podcast, man. I do. Tell us I a little do. bit about that. I, yeah. So my focus, um, last year, especially as I was trying to learn about, um, hunting in Arizona, cause I went down to, I went down to Arizona for, you know, the archery hunt in January of 21 for the mm-hmm. first time. And I didn't 
if you'd asked me six months before if I was if I felt like I was ready to go out of state, I would have said, no, of course, I'm not ready to go out of state. I haven't even killed my first deer yet here in state. <laughs> so I have no <laughs> business. Um, but then I learned about the opportunity and I'm like, you know, that sounds like a great as so as thousands of others have said it sounds like a great way to go enjoy some some better weather than what we've got here and it's a different habitat and i i never even really stepped foot in the desert let alone hunted it oh really? And so i really immersed myself in um in podcasts that were talking about desert desert mule deer you know desert coos deer just the whole thing and and what it what clicked with me in that instance, but also just in, in diving into so many of the different media outlets that were out there about Western big game hunting is nobody talked about California. Um, yeah. And for, for, for a number of reasons, you know, social, political, uh, game management perspective, you know, good tags are hard to come by, you know, good as in like the, the, the premium tags are, are hard to come by. Um, so I realized there's a gap in terms of content. Nobody wants to talk about California on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a couple hundred thousand hunters here. So I figured, well, maybe, that's, maybe that's I should what I was take a run at you. this. Like, yeah. well, how many hunters are in California? Is that, is that the number around somewhere around, give or take 200 grand or 200,000? Yeah. Well, deer tags, um, I think 250,000 deer tags were sold. Okay. You know, 40. 30 to 40,000 bear tags, mostly going to deer hunters. I know, I know um, the bear stats, but never knew the deer stats. And I figured they were, they were way out of whack. And the only reason I knew them is because of that SB 252 from last year. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So just using round numbers, I think, you know, say 250, 200,000 deer hunters. Let's just use that as a round number. Mm-hmm. A lot of us have two tags in our pocket, so it may be lower than that. But, but that doesn't count your, your, your waterfowl hunters. You know, there's a lot of people in the state that hunt, hunt waterfowl. We've got a great, um, you know, we're on the Pacific flyway. And so up and down the state, you've got good waterfowl hunting or shooting, um, which I haven't done much of, so I can't really speak to it, but yeah, 200, 200 plus thousand tags in the state out on the landscape with, with very generous, seasons mm-hmm. you know with a single tag you can usually hunt um there's eight weeks there's three weeks so four weekends and three weeks of archery for most of the zones and then there's uh four full weeks with five weekends bracketing of of general season which is any legal any legal weapon and so you know if you get your average you know a zone d zone b zone tag and you can go out and you've got eight weeks to to find your animal and then you can get two tags so you could have two different zones oh, wow. um, so it's a pretty generous hunting opportunity um in that regard mm-hmm. i think our i think there's definitely some zones where our um our deer suffer because of it sure because um, of the two tag, so, you mean? yeah yeah so it's interesting like using where i'm in i'm in central california i'm in the sacramento area and there's a handful of zones that are in the D zone group. And um, the average harvest is only about 10%. So across that entire archery through general season, eight weeks hunting time, harvest is still only about 10%. Hmm. So yeah. you would think that 
it's either it's either a lot of us out there trying and not doing it um as as deer as we walk past deer that are hunkered down just you know bedded down watching us walk around circles or there's not enough deer and i think in in some regards it's it's both like there's more deer here than our harvest numbers would indicate sure but there's definitely not it's 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 we definitely could do better in terms of herd management and and support for the wildlife well, what surprised me is is we were talking before we hit record here, and mm-hmm. you had mentioned, um, you know, throughout the state of California, there's there's roughly seven thousand elk between three species, that, which is which is your Roosevelt, mm-hmm. your Rockies, and your Tule elk, and Tule make up the biggest portion of that, and yep. it's surprising because so. Uh, I don't. I don't want to say I've lived in California because I, I didn't really live there, but I went to boot camp <laughs> in California. And then I went you experience, to you experience eight Cali- weeks of California well, from a very different different lens. <laughs> yes, from a from a very limited lens, and it was so. I was in boot camp for thirteen weeks, and okay. then uh, I had to go to school of infantry on on Camp Pendleton down there uh-huh. towards San Diego or wherever. Um, and I remember thinking when I was there, you know, I, I was young and wasn't. I was I was way into hunting, but not so much into like the conservation side of it, right? It was just more yeah. I wanted to go shoot a deer or an elk or whatever. Um, it was it was interesting back then because like on base, it it looked like great habitat, and then they they let us off for the weekend, uh, and I'd want to go. And I'm not talking to boot camp; they don't let you off in, in boot camp. But in school no. of infantry, we got the weekends off, right? And so we'd go. All my buddies wanted to go into town and go find you know chase girls and, and drink beer. Uh, yeah. And I actually wanted to go check out the landscape because I thought that at the time I was going to be stationed permanently in California. Okay. Then a few weeks later, I find out I'm going to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and I didn't even know <laughs> how to find North Carolina on a map, you know. And I'm like, what? Anyways, so it was it was of interest to me, but I saw enough of it uh, between the times that I, I went there. And I, we came back to California a few times to train, but the, the landscape – suggests from from a hunter's perspective that the habitat is pretty strong in California between whether you're talking coastal California or like when we're uh, and I was just talking to somebody about this I I, th- I want to say it was Seth Watts the other night mm-hmm. um you know, you know when we went to winter survival school in Bridgeport California you know great habitat yeah. out there you know great elk yeah. country uh to to some of the other areas that I visited in California and so that's why I think when when you said there's only seven thousand elk in the state of California, California is huge, and it just mm-hmm. I just thought there would be three, even possibly four times that many. In terms um, of elk, yeah, of elk, of elk, and but yeah. I mean when you're talking about low deer numbers, it surprises me because again, just now this was a couple of decades ago, not to age myself, but. Um, when I was out there frequently, it, it just seemed like great habitat, and and I always I always wanted to hunt it. So we have a lot of habitat. You, we have, you have a lot of have, habitat, yeah. We have a lot. We have 18 distinctly separate um, national forests in the state. So we're in Region Five for national forests. There's 18 separate forests. Um, I don't know, 20 million acres or something like that. We sure. have. I mean, I mean, we have endless habitat. We have. Um, but we also have, you know, 35 million people. <laughs> Holy shit, um, dude. Are most, you serious? Uh, is for, that how many is in California? Yeah, I think it's like 35 million people. So there's a lot of people here, which means there's a lot of highways, a lot of roads, a lot of a lot of houses, a lot of, you know, a lot of urban, suburban encroachment into habitat. 
which is certainly an issue. Um, a lot of hunters. I don't, you know, I, I don't know if we're two hundred thousand, you know, tags stacks up against other states, but I think well, some of the issues that we have is is habitat management hasn't been done very well. You know, it's same thing that fuel, same thing that feeds into the our, our wildfire issue is mm-hmm. the habitat has not been allowed to go through that successional, you know, rebirth process every 15 to 20 years or five to 20 years. Um, and so you've got a lot of stagnant forests. I mean, there's areas where you look out across a landscape in the mountains, you know, in say five to 7,000 foot range, and you see this endless, endless carpet of mature trees, you know, tree yeah. you know tip to tip you know there's it's just dead it's just nothing but dead dead shade underneath them and when you get that it's not a lot grows you know not a lot of animals grow and not a lot of uh not a lot of uh forage grows i i think <clears throat> i think mike to i didn't mean to cut you off there mm-hmm. but i think i just diagnosed the 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 problem that california has with this you know, fight that's just ongoing and constant with Anna Hunters and and HSUS and all the, all these folks mm-hmm. over there. You've got you've got roughly 35 million people in the state of California mm-hmm. and somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 maybe 250 thousand hunters. Mm-hmm. Compare Less than 1%. that. Compare that to the state of Idaho. In 2019, we had just under 300 thousand hunting tags license holders. Wow. Now, that number might be a little squampus because I can't remember how it was in 2019. Uh, the state of Idaho, when the elk were getting kind of wiped out by the wolves back you mm-hmm. know, a little over a decade ago, they allowed no, uh, residents to buy unsold non-resident elk and deer tags. So mm-hmm. that, that may play into that number a little bit. But, I mean, I don't even know. I, I, think, I think Idaho just hit 2 million people. So yeah. when you've got 300,000 hunters out of 2 million people and, and you compare that ratio to 200,000 hunters with 35 million people man yeah, it's upside down that yeah, scares me that scares yeah, the hun- me hunters hunters in California are less than 1% of the population mm-hmm. big game big your big game big hunters yeah are less than 1% of the population and and so and, and we can go down what this means you know culturally in terms of and also in terms of the anti hunting issues that we've got is is we have to, we have to have non-hunters in our camp. Mm-hmm. Like it is not, it is not a, it is not optional. Like if we oh, don't have, if we don't have fifty-one percent of the non-hunting community, at least tolerant and willing to say, yeah, they should be allowed to do that in our camp, then it, it's it's all done. It's a dead end. Yeah, without it, no, I, I couldn't, end. I couldn't agree more. It's it is that that is imperative, and that's not just a California issue. I mean, even if you take, if you're looking at Idaho and, yeah. you know, 300,000 license, uh, tag holders, resident tag holders is not half of our population by any no. means. Um, I, and I, I want to circle back to this conversation. I, and yep. let's, let's come back to this because that's an important point. Um, yeah. I, I want to know how you, okay, so did you grow up in California? Yeah, I've been here all my life. How? I've been here all my life. I've been, I've lived in northern california bay area like grade school then southern california just north of where you were in the i was just north of pendleton um through high school and then i've been up here in the the sacramento area the rest of my life in 
you didn't really start hunting until well into adulthood. Yeah, yeah. How, five years ago. Five years ago, and I'm I'm, oh, five I'm years? in the old. I'm yeah. So forty, forty-seven when I started hunting. I did grow up. Um, I did a lot of fishing um, as a kid, and we did a lot of. And my dad was a backpacker, uh-huh. and so we did a lot of backpacking into like the Golden Trout Wilderness into the eastern side of the Sierra Nevada. A lot of you know multi-day you know, three to five day backpacking trips into the wilderness to fish. areas to do, to, yeah, to fly fish. Sweet. And so I learned early how to, you know, <laughs> how to enjoy the suffer fest of getting into an area uh-huh. and then appreciate the, you know, appreciate the beauty and what was there and, 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 you know, the process of, you know, trying to figure out a stream or something like that, or figure out a lake, you know, fly fishing. So, that I think that that definitely helped me ease into hunting more quickly. Um, and I'd done some, I did the John Muir trail once, you know, 20 days or so. Oh, so cool. I've done hard stuff in the mountains and I love it back there. And so my, like my, my sweet spot or my comfort zone in terms of hunting is getting into the quote, you know, the, into the back country. You like the back country um, stuff, huh? I like the back country stuff. Yeah. I like to, and I, in and, and California, First thing, and people say this about Colorado too. I don't know how true it is, but in California, it was like, oh, you can't get away from people. I'm like, I don't ever see anybody. Like, I hunt, I hunt zones with, I hunt a zone with 33,000 tags. Mm-hmm. And I will frequently, I can go out there and not see, I can see people if I choose to, but I, I go just far enough beyond them that they're never, they're not traipsing through where I am. Yeah. And so I know where they are, but they're not where I am. And, um, and so it, it can be done if you're, if you're just really thoughtful about like where you decide to go and how you get there and whatnot. I think, I think it's important to make the point that if you could find that in California, you could find it in any Western state. Cause I hear that a lot, uh, to, yep. you know, oh, we couldn't get away from people, couldn't get away from people. Yep. And I don't know, man, I, I think that if, if you're having a hard time getting away from people, you either are not hunting for enough days to find those areas or you're right. not working hard enough. And and so yeah. I'm going to catch some flack for saying that, but I hunt one of the most popular units in the state of Idaho during September archery season. And it has gotten exponentially more popular over the last two years. I, I'd say two years. Yeah. Last year it was a, it, I mean, it was a shit show up there and I still, found drainages where i was by myself and and i because i hunt alone but you know 90 percent of the time but i was still finding places where i could get totally away from people uh just by going off the beaten trail of like how do you do it how do you figure out how to get away from crowds uh i do a lot of e-scouting i spend a lot of time looking at at you know onyx and google maps and and, uh, and, and those products. And so mm-hmm. I look a lot, of, look a lot, look a lot of maps. And then I usually will get to, um, you know, I get to an end of the road or I get to a spot, a wide spot in the road where I feel like I could park my truck, you know, and leave it for a while. And I just, and I just, I hike in. And so a couple of the spots that I like the best, um, there's no trail. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm not on trail for any of it. Mm-hmm. And so you're just going, def- are you just parking in some random spot and heading up a 
draw or yeah. something like that? Yeah, yeah, it could be. Yeah, well, it, to me, it's not random. It's very thought. It's well, well thought you, out. You've but thought it any, out, but there's not anybody like a else. Trailhead. Yeah, to anybody else, it's like, why this person park here? There's nothing yep. here. Like, there's no, you know, why this person park at the end of the road here? There's no trail. There's no place to go in. It's super thick. It's it's not even really attractive. And so, um, dude, we're peas yeah, in a pod, so, man. We're peas in yeah. a pod. I love those kind of yeah. those kind of areas. So I, I like to do that. Um, and, and really, you know, I'm probably walking past a lot of animals to get to where I think it's the right spot <laughs> to, but you, <laughs> you know, but the goal is your, your goal is to, to have that backpack hunt experience, right? The, the back country. Yeah. Hunt. Cause I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I'll park in a spot where it looks like it's just a curtain of brush and trees and you, you, you have to kind of swim your way through it for about 50 yards and then it'll usually open up. I shouldn't tell mm-hmm. people these secrets, but, um, <laughs> for me, I'm not, I'm not going into the back country overnight. I'm just, I'm just going as far as I can and chasing bugles mm-hmm. or, or whatever, whatever I'm haunting. Uh, and so I, and, and I think that that's an important distinction when you're, Going with a backpack overnight—that's that's the goal, man. It, it's the experience of, and the romance of, of backcountry hunting, and, and I think yep. a lot of people are attracted to it, and and there's for good reason, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I absolutely, I um, that's that's the type I like. Even when I've, I've gone to Arizona, you know, last January and then just last month in December, as as many as you know, there's so many people hunting, you know, archery hunting in Arizona. I I I take myself into places where I don't see anybody for five days. Mm-hmm. Um, and so of course this last time I, I only saw one doe and two fawns over those five days, days as well. So it wasn't exactly successful. It was a good, it was a good scouting trip, I'd say, it but was a good, it was a good hike in the forest, right? Yeah. The and, and that's, <laughs> and that's kind of the, my approach to it. Um, not growing up hunting, you know, I'm like, you know, say five seasons in 20 days a season, I'm a hundred days in. Mm-hmm. And it probably wasn't until 2020. Well, every year that I've been hunting, the like the pieces of the puzzle, a few, just enough additional pieces of the puzzle, of figuring out where the deer were or what they were doing, would fall into place to give me enough encouragement to stay with it the next year. Mm. Um, literally, like the first season I was out total bow hike i was i was had it was was a rifle hike i was rifle hiking for 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 probably eight or nine days that season (laughs) on doing the weekend warrior thing Uh and it wasn't until the last day literally my last day i'm like well let's i haven't gone up that way yet so i'll go up that way and maybe that'll work out i get up to this bridge and there's deer scat everywhere there's bear scat everywhere there's deer scat everywhere i'm like oh this i guess this is where i should have been um it was the last day of the season and so, but I finally found, I felt like I hit the jackpot just finding a bunch of turds in the, in the wilderness. And that and, gave um, you the, the ump for the next year, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And Hell so that yeah, gave man. me the ump for the next year. And so then I put out a few trail cameras and I thought I hit the jackpot again. I'm like, oh my God, there's actually animals. Like these trail cameras are showing me these amazing animals. I'm like, there's, there's deer and bear all over the place up here. <laughs> and so, you know, so this bit, bit by bit, and I, I, I kind of have a, a thought, it's a theory that it probably takes any hunter, you know, 50 to a hundred days of being in the field, doing it, looking for animals, figuring it out, learning the habitat, learning where they are for things to click 
to where they can say, I can go out anytime and I can go out and find animals every time I go out. Maybe not be successful, but at least see the animals. At least see them, yeah. I would you agree know, with and that. So, yeah, but so if you grew up in a hunting family, you know, you started when you're nine years old, you get those hundred days pretty quick. Sure. Like, you know, by the time you're an adult, you had your hundred days and they were also informed by somebody, by, by multiple coaches or mentors. So those hundred days, probably you got more out of them than just wandering in the woods. So I just. Did you, you or, or it was, you know, sometimes I wonder about, about that exact point. You know, I grew up as a kid hunting and, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I was, kindergarten age going on on my first deer hunt obviously not carrying a rifle um i think my dad let me carry a bb gun once and i shot some squirrel <laughs> or something. but anyway nice um and, and I, I wonder sometimes if that that the way getting taught that way especially at a young age how that how that differs from you know somebody who's an adult that has mm-hmm. kind of learned and has a maturity to know how to digest the information they're seeing like who's who's getting the better perspective I, I mean it's 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 hard and to it's say different because you think they're just different as as somebody who grew up hunting I I never thought about well it takes you know 50 to 100 days to to kind of get a gauge as to how to find a deer or how to find an elk or how to find a bear. Um, mm-hmm. And it, that br- brings up another question that I have for you. When when you're talking about this 50 to 100 days or whatever, as you're progressing in, in every year or every day you're spending in the field, you're, you're getting a little bit more knowledge, a little more mm-hmm. hunting wis- wisdom. Um, do you, you start learning, and this is going to be the same for everybody, you start learning, okay, I generally know that deer like this kind of brush and this kind of habitat and, and this this elevation on a mountain, whatever, all the things that are going to vary from region to region. But mm-hmm. there's also this like sixth sense that you get about this, you know, just like a gut feeling. I feel like there's going to be deer up there or there's mm-hmm. going to be a herd of elk bedded down over there. And th- one thing that I've noticed as I've gotten older is that gut feeling is like getting deadly accurate. Where yeah. when I when I was in my twenties hunting, um, I, my gut feeling sucked. I couldn't find anything, <laughs> right? And I just, but I felt like I was gonna go find something. But anyway, uh, have you experienced that? You get this gut feeling where you feel like you know you're gonna find them over here, and you don't really know why, and that's why it's hard sometimes to teach a new hunter because sometimes you just learn through instinct, and and that that information just kind of fills you. It doesn't come to you. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And I, and I think it's probably more gut, more instinct for somebody that's been doing it, you know, all their life because mm-hmm. they haven't had to pick it apart. Like it just, it just falls into place. Gotcha. Like they, they, they look at a map, they look at a new, a new track of land and there's like, okay, we're going to go here. It's like, well, why? It's like, uh, it's just, it's, that, that's where they're going to be. <laughs> I don't know. That's where they're going to be. <laughs> and, um, and so, whereas somebody that's, which is great and and what a, what an advantage to have yeah um but i think you're right in that to whether you're in that person or you're a new for a new hunter like myself to be able to break it down and understand what are those components that are feeding into that gut feeling because then you can i think you can error correct faster like you can you can assess oh it didn't work out today why is that you know a lot of people say <laughs> There's no deer here. Like this place sucks. There's no deer here. It's like, eh, 
not quite. That's not really that's not really the deal. Uh, like the four days I was in Arizona, four of the five days I was in Arizona, the first four days, I could have said, this is terrible. There's no deer here. Well, fifth day, I didn't go very far, but I went different and I found like loads of deer sign. Yeah. And so, you know, the deer were there the whole time. And that's the key is, is whether you're instinctive hunter or whether you're like methodical trying to learn it like a puzzle. The key is, I think, being able to break down the losses as much as you can break down the wins oh, man, and understand yeah, like what, point. like what, like what fed into those. Yeah. Um, totally agree. So, yeah, but yeah, no, that's. That, that's a great point, Mike. I, I love it. I, it's interesting because I, th- I think about the, the reason I ask you that specifically is because you, you've got that, you, you know, you learned as an adult. So that perspective mm-hmm. might still be there. And obviously it is. Um, I, I took a guy hunting. My, my cousin actually got his first buck this year. It was a nice. mule deer. And but when we first get up onto this one section of the mountain, there's there was another hunter kind of watching this. Uh, I don't know. It was like a west facing slope or something. He's just sitting there. And I remember yeah. thinking, I didn't even say anything to him, but I, I remember thinking that uh, that guy is in the wrong place right now. That's not the right place. This, this is not where the deer are going to be. And uh, the guy leaves after a while, and we go check another spot. And I just I just knew that the deer were going to be back over in that area where that dude was. And so I, I was wondering if he was going to still be there. Yeah. Uh, turns out he wasn't. And turns out the, the muleys were moving through that area, and uh, Andrew got himself a buck. And and it's I, I couldn't explain how I knew that that was going to go down that way and I you know right. I'm, I'm not a I'm not a biologist I don't I don't know I just yeah. have years of watching these animals and so it's always something I think about like how does how does some of that gut instinct come come into play and and uh, how how it's garnered you know in, in a hunter but um, yeah what so you were 47 when you started hunting yeah yeah what I'd, uh, what happened what, there? what the like, heck was I, what yeah. the heck was I doing I think I got my, well, so I did do a rifle walk, rifle hike once with my dad when I was probably like 12 or 14 and we walked out, we walked out in the woods and we didn't see anything. So we gave it a, we gave it a try once or twice. Um, but, but it's like a, it's like a shadow of a memory for me because it, it barely happened. Um, and we, we didn't really stick with it. So I've always had an affinity for the mountains. I like mountain sports, you know, skiing. I like, I like, I like, um, the, uh, clearly I must like the the process of breaking it down and learning it. And so like learning how to do it. And so I just decided, you know, I'm tired of being an observer of this. Uh Like there's nothing that should stop me from doing it just because I haven't done it. And so I got my under safety certificate, uh, got my license. I was familiar with some of the areas in the national forest close by where I've done some hiking and I knew that, you know, I, I know how to approach a trailhead and just go. And so, um, I figured I'd just start doing it. And, you know, I had, a I had the same Winchester model 94 lever action. No way. I started with as, as a kid. Um, I love it, man. That's my favorite I, I, rifle. Yeah, I'm not very good with it. I never, I didn't actually have to shoot at anything though. So, um, but, but I, so I had, you know, there was really no reason to not go give it a shot. And so, and, and and the other thing I think a lot of hunters need to acknowledge is like, you see, you see the hunting, I'll say celebrities, you see people that are hunting successfully doing, you know, um, 
big backcountry trips or they they can go out and they can call an elk every time they're out or whatever it is on you know various media you don't have to be that person you don't have to feel like you should be that person on the first go like just go out and get find out whatever your boundaries are and and go push that boundary and, and go learn so i just started yeah. i just started hiking the woods hiking this area and um i didn't leave this area in terms of my focus 17 18 I didn't really leave this area as, as an area to focus on until um, 2019. So the first three years I stayed with it, added a second unit to it in 19. And it still, I'll, I'll go, I have a tree stand up there right now um, in the snow uh, <laughs> that I wasn't able to hunt this year because of the fires. Like the last two years, this area that I know the best, where I know there's these deer, I haven't been able to hunt because it's been closed um due to the fires and so i'm I'm hoping to go back to it at some point because i know there's some really great uh bucks in there and it's where i got my bear a couple years ago there's some amazing bears in there and so i just you know hopefully it won't be closed next year and go back in there and kind of you know kind of close the close the deal finally where it all started for me man see uh, you're doing one zone you're doing something right dude i haven't even gotten a bear yet you're in idaho I know, I know. We got I, I, and and uh, to make that worse, there's a lot of bears in Idaho. Uh, to make that worse, I was told like in in the areas that I hunt, there's four bears per square mile. Like that's a ludicrous amount of bears. I don't know how I haven't been bald or even got a bear. I, I just uh, I know. I just bears started. Are, I just started hunting, them, but they are man. There, I love it. It's like it's it's like my new passion. Did you shoot that bear with that model ninety four? No, no, I got the, my first, my first, the bear was my first big game animal and, mm-hmm. uh, I, I got it with my bow. Oh, did you really? I, yeah, I got oh, it with my sweet. bow. It was, um, I got, I got lucky. It was not a great shot, but I, I, he ended up moving a little bit. Um, and I shot him back, but I shot him far enough back. I, I clipped his femoral artery. Oh, wow. So like really <laughs> right, right. And I was shooting downhill. He was below me and, you know luck luck was on my side because i basically put it right through his his tailbone downward and it just went right through you know tailbone through and out one of this the other leg and it clipped his femoral artery and he was down in about a minute i mean oh, it was wow. it, that's that's uh, badass blood, yeah but blood trail looked like buckets of blood were being done it was like by the bucket and uh about 100 yards is all and so it's pretty stoked, but it's four miles in for four, four and a half miles in. So Before, I got to do the, do the painful pack out. Did you get it out in one trip or did you have to go back? Oh no. Two trips. Two trips. I had a, I had a, an old backpacking backpack that I'd used on the John Muir trail, like literally in 1993. Uh-huh. And, uh, so very unstructured internal frame pack and, uh, and boy, it didn't, it did well with, backpacking weight like 50 60 pounds backpacking weight that's really distributed throughout it you know 30 years ago but now when i put that weight in it it just was like you know these (laughs) well you know know, these these loins you know might as well put cinder blocks (laughs) in there and it it didn't carry very well so crazy how like but uh, two trips just heavy a quarter is on something it's like just that just that dead weight uh i have i guarantee you that there's there's people listening in this audience that are big time geeked out highly technical bow hunting enthusiasts that are 
gonna want to know what type of broadhead you were shooting. Like I don't give a <laughs> shit, but I know I know there's some people that that are are wondering that listening to this. So let's yeah. uh, let's give let's throw them a crumb, man. So uh. The Montec G5, I believe, the okay. solid, yep, solid yep. fixed blade. Um, yep. That's been my, that's kind of been what I've gravitated to towards the the last couple of years. I'm, I'm learning enough about broad, you know, uh, arrow building and broadheads and whatnot to come off sounding like a jackass on the <laughs> podcast. So I'm not really going to go no, down no, that. That's totally fine, man. I, I don't know. I, I barely know the Montec G five and I only because I, I did whack a bull with one, one time. Yeah. Uh, nice. But other, other than that, I, I, uh, I took some advice from a buddy I went bear hunting with last season and bought uh, this new type of uh, broadhead that, uh, that my buddy Eric found for me, who he's got, uh, an, an archery shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and Westwood Archery, I, I got to give him a shout out any time I can. But anyway, he 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 got me all set up. He's like, uh, I, you know, I, I told him what I was was recommended to me. I was all excited uh-huh. about it, and the package is sitting behind me on a shelf somewhere. I I have no idea what they are. I have no idea. I just know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, have you put them on? Have you used them? Or, oh or yeah, yeah. No, I hunted okay. with them last season, and and they <laughs> shoot great. They're they're awesome, man. Uh, I just don't know what they are. Um, yeah. I'm trying. Like I'm. It's, I'm. I probably normally do, but I'm totally drawing a blank. But anyway, if I have super technical questions, I just call people like Eric and, and be like, dude, what do I need here? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm leaning towards I'm leaning towards a heavier arrow build. Uh-huh. Like right now, you know, we want to go down the FOC thing. I'm like at like 11 percent. I'm not I'm very balanced. I'm very neutral on FOC. Gotcha. I, I want to I want to go down a heavier build with a little bit higher FOC and you go like crazy. Um, but I, I, based on the way the mechanics of it have been explained, I do think a little bit heavier on the front end for me is going to be better. And so like right now I'm at 125 grains. And so I may go with something new next year. Now, is, um, is but that... at the same time, you know, right now for me, you know, it, the most important thing for me is that I can, I can hit what I'm aiming at. Like that's, that's, that's where I need to invest most of my time. And yeah, that's the most important thing. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, is that, is that like kind of geared towards is when you, when you say that, are you thinking, okay, I'm going to gear this arrow towards a bear or is this just everything in general elk? What, where does the the Uh, thought process come for you? Cause I know this is all personal stuff. Everybody makes, you know, different, different nuances there. I think it goes, I think partly bear, um, it, probably if I'm hunting bear, I, I think that the heavier front, you know, and he- heavier weight on the, on the broadhead is going to be better for me. Sure. And then the other aspect of it, the way I understand it is, you know, if I, if I'm hitting double lung broadside, perfect shot, you know, just about any decent broadhead that's sharp is going to go through the animal. Mm-hmm. But, um, that doesn't always happen. And, you know, if I end up, hitting some shoulder if i end up hitting you know some heavier bone spine i don't know i just i I think that that the a little bit more weight on the front with a a higher you know more high performance broadhead is going to do better for me gotcha but again i haven't gone there yet and i haven't needed to and so 
I'm, I'm, you know, if I, if I go into next season with what I've got right now, then I'll be, I'll be perfectly fine with that. Nice. I'm a, I, I hunt, you know, during archery season, I hunt archery during general season. I'm going to carry a rifle. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a dedicated, you know, bow hunter per se. And oh, I'm so not either. No, it's, man. Um, I, I do it it's all, all about, yeah, which, which, you know, maybe I'd be better at it if that's all I did, but I, right I'm not going to let you get away with bringing up this model 94 and not telling me what hunts you've <laughs> taken it on. If any, I gotta, I gotta like, and, and the reason why I say this is cause I'm kind of a wannabe cowboy, Mike. And, <laughs> and so I love my lever action and I feel like yeah. I'm John Wayne and, uh, I, I've never really wanted to admit this on the podcast, but I did shoot a moving coyote off of a horse with Dang. my Model 94. Now, this was a lot, many years ago. So, uh, 99% yeah. of that was absolute God's intervention luck. But, um, yeah. and it's, fake it. It, I faked it, man. And, and uh, my, <laughs> I had a family member who witnessed it. And thought that I was like some kind of commando or something, but or a Comanche. Oh yeah. I, I don't know. Either yeah. A commando or a Comanche. You called me one of the two. And yeah. um, it was it was it was super cool. But anyway, the the point is is like my Model 94. It's an open sided uh, 30 30 lever action. Uh, mm-hmm. Love this rifle. I mean, I lo- this thing's killed more deer than the plague. I absolutely love this rifle. It's my favorite rifle. <laughs> unless I'm hunting in country. It, and one of the things that makes it work for me is because I'm in North Idaho, which is an absolute jungle. So I'm, I'm not right. normally making shots over a hundred, maybe 150 yards at the most. Yeah. Um, and, and so it, it's just, I just love it, man. Tell me about yeah. yours. Tell me about yours. Well, it hasn't seen my that much action other than being carried around. Um, remember, remember, I've only got two, two big game animals under my belt. And so I carried <laughs> it on, on, quite a few days and nights of, of deer and bear hunting here in the, in, in California. Um, and I knew I wanted to upgrade though, to a more modern, you know, bolt action, not that all, not all, not that bolt actions are necessarily more modern than lever, but, um, I want to upgrade to a more modern car- cartridge, something that could be considered more of a long range gun. Sure. But I, but I, 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 rest- I told myself, there's no point in going out and dropping, you know, to say a thousand dollars on a new rifle. If I'm not seeing animals. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, <laughs> if I haven't figured out how to I find wish... the animals and see them at 300 yards, I clearly don't need the gun for it just yet. And Mike, so I, kinda... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's your age or you just have some inherent wisdom that a lot of people lack. <laughs> I wish more hunters as they're, especially when they're just getting into hunting, or even fly yeah. fishing would look at it like that. Do you know how many times I've, I've gone fly fishing and I've seen somebody decked out in $3,000 between their <laughs> rod and their Sims waders and all this stuff, never caught a fish in their life, and they went right. and did it. They get they get skunked two or three times and they never go again. It's the yeah. same concept with hunting, and, and I wish more hunters would take that um, that aspect yeah. or that approach. You know, I mean, it's, there's there's really something to be said for that. I've and, done that with I've done that with my rifle and I've mm-hmm. done that with my backpack. Like I told myself, I'm not gonna get I could I I, kn- I knew that my old backpack was not suited for this for yeah. for carrying out a, you know an animal a big game animal, but I didn't know how bad it how bad it was gonna be. And so I said, I'm not I'm not gonna drop the money on a top tier backpack until I've done this with the backpack I have because the backpack I have gets me in and out just fine without you know throwing. 60 pounds of meat in it. Sure. 
Sure. And so I did that and I checked that box and I said, I'm never carrying an animal out of getting that thing. <laughs> and so, you know, so I stepped you know, and same thing with the rifle. I was like, I don't want to like, I need to, I need to validate that I can even find these animals and I can see them at, at a distance that, that warrants, you know, this rifle. Yep. And so I, I use that one to discipline myself to focus on figuring out the game. And then two, just to research what it was that I wanted. I went through like, you know, a dozen different calibers where it's like, okay, it's going to be, it's going to be a seven MM. It's going to be 300. It's going to be a, you know, 6.5 PRC. It's going to be a seven MMOA. You know, I went through every cartridge and just did a ton of research and mm-hmm. tried to validate, you know, why, why, why this is the right one. Cause I thought this may be the rifle that I stick with for the rest of my hunting career. You know, I, sure. I, I don't hunt elk yet. I'm not anywhere close to buying, you know, drawing any moose tags or whatnot. And so, you know, I wanted something that was going to be super versatile, lower 48. And so I, I, yeah. I took my time on that. No, that's so. and, and it's super smart. And it's, it's such a, you know, I am not, and I, I've talked about this a million times, I think. I, I'm not super technical with my bow. Uh, and I don't get real hung up on caliber. I've got a, I've got a couple of favorites. Obviously, that Model 94, that 3030 is is a, yeah. is a favorite for other reasons outside of performance. Um, I love my 300 Win Mag. Absolutely love it. But I, I'll yep. tell you what, I was really impressed. Uh, you'd mentioned that 7mm08. My, uh, I bought my daughter's mm-hmm. one, and oh, nice. my 12 year old, uh, she dropped a, she dropped a little buck this year. It's her first buck. And uh, that sucker ran maybe 40 yards and and dropped and and you know yep. she made a good shot. Obviously, it wasn't very far. And so I can't gauge how that rifle is, but I've shot it enough. I, sh- I shot it when I was sighting it in and stuff. I was impressed with it. It doesn't it like hardly kicks. It's really nice. Right. Yeah. yeah so. That's a good that's a good cartridge. I mean that 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 yeah. could last. That could be good for her for you know decades lifetime, if she wants yeah. it to be. Yeah. I'll, yeah I'll, could, that's that's a lifetime rifle there for sure. My ten year old was uh, <clears throat> what was what was really surprising is she dropped a buck with my uh, AR fifteen. Six. She spine hit that sucker and he dropped in his tracks. Man, it was crazy. But uh, yeah. But anyway. A lot, of, I, a lot of deer go down with the 223. Right, right. I, I think it's underrated when it comes to deer hunting. If you're, especially if you're talking like within 100 yards, that's, that sucker's pretty deadly, and it is fun yeah. to shoot coyotes with. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. I, I want to before we go into the the other topic, um, mm-hmm. you've got you've got five years of hunting under your belt. You've obviously mm-hmm. got some very mature perspective as to how you approached it. Uh, mm-hmm. I know a lot of hunters that are five, six, seven, eight years into it that have yet to even notch a tag. So you you sure. made a joke earlier. Oh, I've only gotten two big game animals in five years. That th- those aren't bad stats, not in the slightest. Yeah. Um. And so you're you're doing a lot of things right. And I I know that w- within our audience here on the Western Huntsman, I've got we've got a lot of new uh, blood out there that are that are tuning into the show. Good. And and these people that are, and I, I only know this because they email me, and I, and I love mm-hmm. it when they email me, but they ask me questions, and, and, and sometimes the questions they ask me, I'm not the right guy to answer it, and I feel like you can kind of, you could paint a broader brush uh, just because okay. of your experience and, and your wisdom, so... Scree gear. Have you guys checked it out yet? Scree's Extreme Mountain Gear, the high-performance hunting attire, scientifically tested backed by a great company. It's my go-to camo, and of all the discussion we have about all this uh, 
infighting amongst hunters about what kind of gear they choose. It's okay to have a favorite, as long as we're not fighting about it. And my favorite and my proven gear is Scree. Scree is spelled S-K-R-E. It's kind of a play on the word from Scree Rock found at the bottom of a cliff face or something like that. And they changed the name. And Scree gear is a complete layering system for all terrain and conditions. Gear designed to adapt to the weather. It's rugged gear, and it's all backed by a lifetime warranty. One of the things I really like about Scree is their VIP sizing and exchange program. Order the wrong size pants, they don't fit right, send it back. They'll send you another pair. It's all on Scree's dime. Guys, it's a great company. Check them out at ScreeGear.com and use the promo code The Western Huntsman for 15% off and free shipping. Hoffman Boots is another show favorite right here at the Western Huntsman. There's lots of good boots out there. Uh, there's a lot of bad boots out there too, but Hoffman is a proven proven system that I've been using for a few years. Actually, I've been using them for close to a decade now. And I love the company. I love the story of the company. It's like a family of shoemakers. And it's just a great North Idaho story. It's a great American story. They make a great boot without breaking the bank. Check it out at hoffmanboots.com and use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. Don't forget... Phelps Game Calls is my go-to call company. You guys know it. I've been using Phelps for a long time. They're the oldest sponsor on this show. I'd say the flagship line of calls that they have is definitely geared towards elk. And what a great job that they do. But don't forget that Phelps Game Calls also has a full line of like waterfowl calls, predator calls. There's things that you can check out on the Phelps website that might surprise you. To include something that is coming up quick for us hunters, which is spring turkey. And I don't know how many of you are into spring turkey hunting, but man, is it a ball. It's a riot. you got to check it out. I love the black bat from Phelps Game Calls. It works very well for me. It's a great little read. And try out the uh, blacktail in distress call uh, when you're hunting bears. I'd love to hear if somebody calls one in that way. I've tried it a few times with, with no luck yet, but the you know we got a whole new season coming up, and it's coming quick, and I'm going to try it again. So check out phelpsgamecalls.com. Use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. If you check out the westernhuntsman.com, you are going to find anything from T-shirts to Tacticam gear and all of that stuff. A portion of those proceeds is going to go towards conservation and fighting against the anti-hunting movement. Plus, you'll be sporting a cool t-shirt that says a Western Huntsman. And now I'm not the greatest t-shirt designer in the world, but I do have a friend that is. And he helped me put together a couple of really cool t-shirts on there. They're up now at thewesternhuntsman.com. And you could check it out. And guys, it, it supports the show. It helps me pay for all this equipment to get these shows out there. And to top it off, we're going to help fight against the anti-hunting movement. And there's a lot of new information and, and big announcements coming up regarding that from the Western Huntsman. So check it out at thewesternhuntsman.com and get you a t-shirt or get you some Tacticam gear. I'd really appreciate it. Let's get back to the show. Here we go. That okay. was a long way for me to <laughs> ask you what would be what pops into your mind when I say what are like two or three really critical things that a new adult hunter just getting into hunting should really focus on to learn the most in the shortest amount of time and and get to the point where they're notching attack. Um, luck aside. Yeah, luck aside. I would say Find a piece of public land 
that you know find your closest national forest you know that you can get to and if you leave at 4 a.m 5 a.m you can get there and spend an entire day hiking scouting and just getting to know it like the back of your hand um i think you know so one is is time and time in the field and time getting to know a specific piece of dirt mm-hmm. um chances are you know western states just about every square mile of public land has deer and coyotes on it. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. At man. some that, time that of the year, true. At, at, at some time of the year, you know? And so except for the salt it, flats down in Utah, I don't know. If except for the salt flats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except for the, 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 you know, death Valley, but you know, realistically, if it find a place that's close enough to you that you don't just have to dream about it, but you can actually go there and be there and, and, and be there not just when you have a tag in your hand, but but during the during the off season. I I view the entire year is is hunting season. It's just the differentiators during one part of the year. I can have a tag in my hand. I can legally kill something. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 all it's all scouting. You know, a, a bad day hunting is a good day scouting, and you know, and so every day can be a scouting day. And so you got to get out there, which means it's got to be close enough to you to go. And then you need to get you need to get over the idea that you just you're missing some key piece of equipment. Like you're probably not missing any key piece of equipment. If you got, you know, if you got some worn out old boots that are comfortable enough to walk in, um, and you've got clothes that are are appropriate for that day's weather, just go. Mm-hmm. Like just 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 get out there. Like you don't have to worry about, you know, the deer seeing you at 60 yards if you haven't figured out how to find them at 100 um so your camo doesn't have to be perfect you know so really it's all about to me it's all about time spent being in the field and then i also i i i spent a fair amount of time studying maps yeah i looked at topo maps when i was a kid so i i i already knew how to read topo maps so that's that's like foreign language for some people i know know, how to read a map and so so the thing is, is like, well, how are you going to get better at? Well, just start doing it. Like, just start, start making mistakes, start goofing up, goofing, you know, making, making errors. And, and, um, so it's all about just time and familiarity, I think, and learning how to find turds on the ground and what kind of turds they are. And, <laughs> um, anybody that, anybody that focuses on, I'm going to go hunt this for this week and that's going to be their time in the field that year, they're going to set themselves up for a ton of disappointment. Yeah, I um, agree. I really think hunting success is found in the, is built in the off season. Um, and so you just gotta, you just gotta go mm-hmm. like, that's it. You just, you just have to go and make it a spot that you can go back to year in and year out. Perfect, man. Time. Um, yeah. Time is your your number one asset. Time in the field is your number one asset when it, when it's uh, w- as a hunter. Um, yeah. Couldn't have said that better, man. And and you heard it here first, folks. It, it is Mike <laughs> Costello did not talk about spending fifteen hundred dollars in gear before you go out hunting because I I. <laughs> I would venture to guess that back in the 90s, you might have been hiking in on, on some of those backpacking trips and, and maybe a pair of Reeboks or something uh, uh, to go fly fishing. Because I, I did. I used to hunt deer in Reeboks, man. Yeah. 
And yeah. uh, and not not to say, not, I'm not discounting. I mean, we we're a, we're sponsored by Hoffman Boots here, and we love them. But you don't need you don't need those to go hunting. And and um, I always like that conversation. I always like that. I always like to ram that point home. Um, yeah. And maybe it's because I, I'm kind of a cheap bastard. And and I, I it like pains me when people spend so much money on stuff, especially when yeah. they're young and you know a new family and. It's so not necessary. It's so not necessary. Yeah. I, so, I think we've got so, there's so much technical gear that we can buy today. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, like with the rifle that I bought, with the backpack I bought, with all my purchases, I think the most important thing is like know why you're buying it. Like know. Yeah. Great like, point. Like, like I could look at a great pair of, you know, insulated mountaineering boots and be like, that's an amazing boot. Mm-hmm. But for California, I'll be miserable because I'll be sweating and I'll be I'll, they'll be filled with sweat within two hours. And so like like no like the the most important thing is to know why if somebody's recommended to you, well what kind of hunting do they do? Where are they and why do they recommend it? Why is that the right piece of equipment? And if the right if it's the right piece of equipment because it's got a three layer Gore-Tex, you know it's three layer Gore-Tex. Well, you can find that you can find that same jacket in three-layer Gore-Tex without camo, but in a nice muddy brown color that blends in well with the your background totally. for like one-third the price. Totally. Yep. So you know, so just you can ease into it. Like put that you know, just know why you're buying it, know what the technical specs are and what they're doing for you, and if you need to, you can probably find that same article or similar piece of gear, you know, on on sale somewhere yeah um and or used or used yeah yeah and uh and guess what you're only gonna see a couple other people out there in the woods if anything so nobody's gonna be laughing at you <laughs> exactly and if, they if you're do, lucky uh, you don't see anybody <laughs> if they do laugh at them back it's no big deal so yeah yeah i love no, it absolutely i love it mike yeah. um as we kind of transition into mm-hmm. what this this other topic that that I, I was really wanting to just hammer home, obviously, folks listening, you guys you guys are you're very well aware of a lot of the issues that we've been facing as hunters throughout the American West, and and, and actually it's spreading to the East Coast at this point from uh, you know Vermont and New Hampshire. I didn't mm-hmm. even know about Vermont until I talked to you tonight. Yeah, uh, with their with their bear hunting, uh, whatever was introduced there. Um, yep. And and uh, we're talking tonight is what the 18th of January, and this episode probably won't be out for a week and a half or so. But okay, it's still relevant in a sense that um, this this winter has been a season of onslaught and assault from the anti-hunting community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I would say perpetrator number one is the the Humane Society of the United States, and uh, you know all their allies so to speak um and we've been talking a lot about it and and to my audience i I don't mean to burn you guys out with it but if we don't stay ahead of it and if we don't keep our feet on the on the gas on on this topic we're not going to have any reason to have a a podcast talking about hunting anyway so it's such a critical thing and it's such a foundational reason for the for why I started this podcast, why I started the the entire platform of the Western Huntsman is yeah. is specifically oriented to protecting the future of hunting. Um, I'm not going to be the great grandpa that is blamed 
for not having a <laughs> spine to fight against the anti-hunting movement. And so, and Mike, I, I feel like you're we're on the same yeah. page with this. One of the yeah. things. Uh, go ahead. I, I feel like I I say, yeah, that. we we are, and that's about like with my podcast. That's about half the content is is regulatory issues. Um, I just think that uh, as a community, we get on you know we get on say Facebook and we we rant and complain and and, and bitch about stuff, and it's all mm-hmm. stuff that we, you know, some of it's informed, some of it's very misinformed. But we're angry and we're lashing out in our little, little, little echo chamber. And um, I think the transformation is starting. I think what you're doing is working. I think what I'm doing is working. I think what's happening and it, what needs to happen is we as a hunting community need to be more active in speaking to like the entity or the agency that can actually enact change on our behalf. Yeah. As opposed to complaining to each other. I liken all of the all of the regulatory stuff that we don't like happens because somebody else got an idea, they started it, they moved it forward, and we didn't act on our behalf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To imagine if we were just, you know, we were sitting outside of the football stadium, kicking back, drinking beer, complaining about the refs and the rules. While the team, while there's only one team in in the arena putting points on the board, because we we wouldn't go in and play. Hmm. Yeah, I like, like that. that. Like that's true, like, man. We gotta we gotta we gotta strap on and say we got we gotta get up, you know, get up and walk in and say, okay, we don't like the rest, we don't like the rules, but this is the arena we have to play in. So let's 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 start to engage and let's start to let's pick the ball up and see if we can move it a yard and no we can't really dream about you know the super bowl yet because we haven't even figured out how to move the ball yard but that's where we are we're we're just now starting to figure out what the arena really is what the rules really are you know the political arena works differently than the the commission level wildlife management arena um so we have to know where the rules are being made in in the current state you know status like california's got a commission issue uh colorado's got a senate assembly legislative issue well, so we have to understand I, where, the, where, right the, where it's all happened yeah well, yeah fire what away. do you mean what do you mean california has a commission issue is it like the, the commissioners themselves maybe no, no, mismatch no. for the position or no so in california well you're, you're never going to be completely happy with who your commissioner commissioners are but you have what you have and so no matter how good your commission is, it's what you've got to work with. And so you can be you can be bugged about who's on the commission, but guess what? If you tap out and leave, then you've 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 already given up. But so in California right now, the the issue that we are going to have, I think next month, is there's going to be a petition brought forward. It's already in circulation to that effectively the Humane Society is petitioning the Fish and Game Commission to end bear hunting in California until a, a number of different studies can be done, which potentially could be never Mike. And so that's the commission issue. Can, can you, let me, let me explain something. The squirrel that turns the wheel in my head is slow mm. and lazy. Um, <laughs> can you kind of re-explain what, what, and I don't know if, if I just like, dazed out there or what but no it's good can you kind of re hammer that point home again that the commission has been approached however you said that regarding your yes. barrier issue just kind of re highlight that again sorry 
so, so mo- most most states, as I understand it, you've got your you know, like in California, and I think most are like this. You've got your Department of Fish and Wildlife or Department of Fish and Game that that executes. You know, they do the tag they do the tag draw, and they mm-hmm. have the game wardens, and they're the managers. And then you have a commission or a board of people, and most of them are politically most often they're politically appointed, mm-hmm. who decide the rules and the regulations that that is are going to be executed by the department and that that it's so it's not a law it's a regulations the commission comes up with regulations yes which are not which are not laws and the commission is typically charged you know their charter is to balance what they call consumptive you know the consumers the people that consume wildlife and non-consumptive use people that enjoy wildlife but don't consume it so their their job is to balance, and they also balance science and social. And so, the science might say, yeah, taking X number of say bears per year is is good. It's okay from a scientific perspective. Mm-hmm. If the social side, being the outcry of anti hunters, says it's not good, if we're not there to balance that dialogue, and contribute our side to the social discussion. Then they, the commission might say, "Well, the social side outweighs the science." That, and so that is such an important we have to, point. We have to be we have to be there. Yeah, it's such an important concept that that I, I want to reiterate one thing that you you said there because this is important stuff in in my mind, Mike. And I, I want to reiterate that I'll give you a great example. A couple of years ago, I had the actual um, director of the Idaho Fishing Game on the show, and he, that was mm-hmm. it was cool because it was an uh, it was an in person studio interview. He came to the yeah. studio, we had lunch there for him and everything, and I got to sit down with him and have a conversation with the director of the Idaho Fishing Game, uh, Director Shriver, great guy. But uh, the one thing that really struck me that and and this was just my own naivete or whatever you want to call it. But but he simplified something that people overcomplicate. And what he said was, I as a director of the Idaho Fishing Game and and the people that work for the Fishing Game, mm-hmm. we serve at the pleasure of the commission. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that put it into a better understanding and a perspective for me to understand. Because again, my my squirrel doesn't spin my wheel very fast so the the uh, because a lot of people they they come at like you know the the fishing game oh they made this decision no the commission made that decision right the fishing game are carrying out that decision very important distinction very important distinction and and it's pretty much the same thing in all all 50 states uh as far as i know i don't want to overstep but as far as i know um that that's an important concept what you were just talking about with the social versus the science, mm-hmm. I we've never had that discussion on on this show, and to any degree that is impactful. So I, I'd I'd like to kind of push that one a little bit. Yeah. Can, can you expand on what you mean? Because, and I want the audience to know, Mike uh, has a lot of experience when we're talking about. I mean, part of your podcast is talking about how to approach the fishing game and the commissioners and all these things, and and voice your opinion, and, right. and get your message heard. And you're very good at this, and you're very effective at that. And so I want to talk about if you if you wouldn't mind expanding on that on that point 
mm-hmm. the difference between the we know, we all know what the science side is. Um, I think hunters are not as good at knowing what the social impact is, the social side of it is, right. and how they mesh together in a decision making process. Yeah. So the so so here's an example of the science versus social. In 2000, I think it was 2011 or 12, the department in California, the CDFW, put together a proposal. Like they create a proposal to increase the bear harvest quota, like from 1,700 to 2,500. They put together data that supported that the bear population was, you know, say 40,000. Here was the current harvest. Here were the trends. And they said, here are here's a couple of different options that we have if we're going to modify the bear plan. And so the science, they put forth the science, they put some options together. And of course, one option was to do nothing, <laughs> unfortunately. <Yeah. laughs> but they, but I think the record, you know, they, 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 they presented this opportunity for the fishing game commission to say, wow, we have a lot of bears here. The harvest every year is not impacting them negatively. In fact, the populations continue to grow. So let's, let's increase the quota. At that time, they received, according to the California Deer Association, um, they received, being they, they being the commission, received 8,000 letters against that Proposal. idea. Yeah, yeah. So the social voice was 8,000 votes against what the science was saying that could be done just fine. And the what problem was that? there is what? that the number of hunters, I, I don't know how many hunters spoke in favor of this, but it was probably in the low hundreds. Okay, that's what I was going to so, ask you. What was yeah. what was the you know the the other side to that? So yeah, so that's where now one now I would say well we we voted our petition our letters to them as the seventeen thousand tags that we buy like that's my vote and that's where we've missed it is we've assumed that because we buy the tag we're voting in favor of the continuing that. But when it gets to the commission level, they don't look at it that way. And I think they should. We need to direct them to look at it that way. But they don't. Like, And so we can be upset that they don't, or we can acknowledge how they work, and we can say we're going to approach you with the way you work, and we're going to uh, approach it. So had there been 8,000 letters in favor of it, as well as 8,000 letters against, you may have had a situation where they would have said, hey, the social is balanced. Like it's a neutral game there. We're going to let the science speak. So where, where do you think – do you think in your opinion and, – and I would venture to guess that this is going to vary from, from one state to another. But in your opinion, does that have to be balanced on the social side? Let's say you had 8,000 mm-hmm. opposed, but you had 5,000 in favor uh, yeah. supporting I don't the know. science. I think, yeah, I think the balance is going to be different in every state. I mean there's some states that have far more – science and data-based management decisions oh, being for made sure. that, than, than California. Hands down. And so that, and that and, and Washington. I, I think yeah. that, I think yeah. that you, when you take a look at, when you take a look at like California versus, uh, wa- or, or California and Washington specifically, and compare that to how the state of Idaho operates, mm-hmm. the one thing that I think really separates the state of Idaho is the Idaho Fish and Game Commission and the Fish and Game itself does not put a lot of stock into out-of-state input, first of mm-hmm. all. Second of all, mm-hmm. 
The determined way that the state of Idaho manages its wildlife is solely through hunting. It's yeah. it, that's that is the management system for the state of Idaho. Hunting is how we manage <laughs> our wildlife. That's and great. It's, it's it's something that it I think can be highlighted throughout the rest of the country to maybe look at the I know some some Idaho hunters are going to be like, dude. I don't know where you hunt, but that's not true. <laughs> but, guys, hear me out. The, I've hunted a lot of states. Not as many as some people out there. I, I get it. But I've hunted and spent enough time outdoors in enough western states, and to include some uh, eastern states, mm-hmm. to know that the Idaho wildlife management system and the policies in place by the Idaho Fish and Game supporter or, and, and you know by the commission – Idaho is a very well-managed state. We do have our issues, and I've, sure. I've railed on the issues here. I hate wolves. I know. I understand. We need to do more about wolves. I understand yep. I understand the elk depredation issues down in, in southern Idaho, and why don't they transport those elk up north, and, and blah, blah, blah. I, I get all that. There, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's a perfect system. But if you were to take um, somebody from Idaho and put them into, say, California or Washington or, <laughs> or into Utah or, or some of these other states – and, and figure out how to get a tag, for one, and B, once you have a tag, notice the difference in the number of, of wildlife on the landscape mm-hmm. and how difficult it is to sometimes get away from people. Idaho is not a terrible place to be unless, of course, Mike, I'd be remiss if I didn't say it. If you're a non-resident, Idaho sucks. Like, yeah. it's, it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, grizzly yeah. bears everywhere. But yeah, uh, no, I'm kidding. But that's, but that's just... You, uh, you get the point, I mean, right? You got to take care of your... You got your Every state can take care of its residents and non-residents, you know, differently too, and that's I think yes. that's fine. Um, so yes. you know, you're right. The the social is going to be filtered or interpreted differently in each state, and um, and and then again, we can be upset with what we have, or we can do something about it. And if we just focus on everything as being a lost cause, then, then the answer is yes, you're right. It is a lost cause. If that's our, if, if that's where we're going to stay. Yeah. So I know yeah. we talked about howl, howl for wildlife a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the thing that, that hunters have not been good at is pooling their voice together and speaking clearly uh, on their own behalf about what they want to happen. And so, you know, with SB 252 in California, the bear ban, then, that was a legislative issue that was brought forth by a senator. It was going to be a law if it had gone through. And that's the difference. A law is much harder to, is a Retract, much harder yeah, thing. Yeah. To, it's harder to flip it, let alone win against if it's, if it catches momentum. That so, one was super dangerous. Yeah, that was going to be a law and that would have been very hard to flip. But, but we as a hunting community in state of California, and I think across the West, spoke very loudly, very clearly, very quickly to tell the senator that was presenting that, that this was not a good political issue to fight. Yeah. And that they, and he pulled it within five days, which is, a, which is remarkable. And I think the H, you know, Humane Society and all the anti-hunting groups, they, they spend a year perfecting their PowerPoint, perfecting their propaganda you know, taking the data snips that they think feed into their story, perfecting what what fuzzy critter pictures are going to go out in front of people and convince non-hunters to speak against hunting. Mm-hmm. And so they um, 
I lost my train of thought. No, I didn't. No. So oh, go ahead. the thing is, is we, we spoke clearly for that and it was kind of an awakening. I think, it, I think the awakening is still going on where we're realizing that whether it's in Washington about the spring bear or in Colorado about uh, cat hunting or California again about, about bear hunting, we as a community need to stop sitting in the parking lot, drinking beer, complaining about the rest. And we need to get in the arena and start voicing and putting some money behind initiatives that support hunting opportunity across the board, yeah. every state and every species. Fantastic. Yeah, you're exactly right. We've been talking about that for a long time on this show. I mean, I, and, mm-hmm. and I think there is a shift happening and, and, you know, kind mm-hmm. of hunters are starting to wake up to this, but uh, SB 252 is kind of the beginning of that. And, and I think that we proved like, like, I don't think Senator Weiner understood or or realized, ever dreamed in his wildest dreams, that some hillbilly in North Idaho with a hunting podcast <laughs> was going to be calling his office every day for a week straight, trying to get him on right. uh, on the show to explain himself. And right. we did we did two or three episodes regarding that here, uh, and 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 the 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 important part of that is whether you can hunt bear in California really doesn't have much of an impact on my life on the surface, right? But if you mm-hmm. if you look at my lifestyle on a deeper level, understand how, how passionate I am just at hunting, with hunting, mm-hmm. altogether, the thought that my fellow hunters in California would take such a loss and the naive thought that that couldn't spread to Idaho really struck me. And so yeah. I, that, I think, is what people are starting to wake up to. And yep. the the brilliance with with SB 252 and how it got squashed was mm-hmm. the fact that hunters allied with each other. They also mm-hmm. allied with um, non-hunting groups such as like you know the the agricultural organizations and the, mm-hmm. and the farming or organiza- the ranching organizations that would also see negative impacts from a lack of predator management. And and yep. that is where we can bolster and strengthen. Um, our side and our fight in this. And, and yeah. so let's not forget about that side of it and that aspect of it. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly it. And, um, I think the, all the issues that are hot today while you and I are talking on January 18th, mm-hmm. a couple of them may have been settled by the time this, this airs, but the issue of, of anti-hunter groups recruiting non-hunters with propaganda to then speak against hunting that's not going to go away this is a this yeah. is i i i kind of in today right now i kind of view this as a it's a cultural war um absolutely we haven't and and what's sad is that nobody well we need to admit it um if you take you know you Right now, access and equity and diversity and inclusion and everything, opportunity in America right now is the hot topic for everybody, right? Well, mm-hmm. in California, if you take away bear hunting, it's a tag that's available to every hunter. And you can find a bear zone pretty much anywhere within an hour of where, wherever you are in California, you're an hour or two away from a bear hunt. So you want to take away 40,000 tags from yeah. hunters. You want to take away 20% of the... Uh, of the opportunity or 20, you know, 15 to 20% of the opportunity to hunt in California, that affects a lot of people. And it's not because they think that the bears are really endangered. It's because culturally they disagree with 
they disagree with somebody's activity. I think there's and even if, a deeper, more evil side to it. To it, because I th- I think you're right that the people that they get to donate, and, and I'm going to pick on human <clears throat> uh, humane society of the United States, H- HSUS, um, because that's that's my number one target. Um, I, I I think that the followers of HSUS are exactly what you said. They mm-hmm. they emotionally have a negative reaction to hunting a bear, and so yeah, they for a want minute, to stop for about for, a minute. Yeah, for a minute. Just long enough to just long just enough, long to, enough click, to get their credit card out, right? Bucks. Yep, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, but I think there's a deeper level, and that's the the revenue generated to the HSUS, and and, and the it, it's a it's a very profitable uh, cottage industry, and and I oh, think yeah. that. I, I there there are so many facets to hunting and and so many different seasons and wild game species and and industries built within industries upon or within the hunting community that this could go on for 200 years. This could go on for 200 years before they completely shut down hunting. And I think that that is the long game for something like HSUS. Oh yeah. But they're going to do it in critical areas such as uh, bear hunting in California, which isn't just a negative impact to bear hunters of California. There's there's a lot of repercussions that will yeah. fall into place behind that, such as the the, the ungulate populations that will suffer, the habitat that will suffer, mm-hmm. the, the bears themselves will suffer because mm-hmm. bears have a large territory that they like to have to themselves. And so mm-hmm. they're going to push into areas they're not supposed to be. The state of California is going to have to come in and eliminate those bears anyway. They're going to wipe mm-hmm. out the prey populations. They're going to get mange. They're going to get sick. They're going to fall, run out of food. And you're going to get into a, a dynamic where we have such an unhealthy ecosystem and habitat mm-hmm. that nothing's going to survive there. Yep. Am I wrong? Well, no, that, that's a huge issue. And the other, the, the other issue that, you know, I, that I've been starting to think about and, and try to pound out is that I, you know, I'm starting to use the phrase hunting is human. So, okay. So, so, yeah, I saw that. so the bears are negatively impacted. Okay. Well, maybe these people really don't care or maybe they just, they're convinced. At, so the, the wildlife management part of it is, is crucial, crucial because we fund as the hunting community funds all of the wildlife management activities. Like we're the ones putting the money on the ground to do the studies. We're the ones putting the money on the ground to transfer wild sheep into, you know, into new, t- new habitat or let that help them expand. We're paying for that. But at the at the other end of the deal, hunting is an inherently human activity. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you know, we all like it or not, we've all descended from a line of successful hunters because if they weren't successful, they would not have survived. Yep. Like you want to go back how many generations we're all descended from to hunters. the dawn of time. I mean, to the to dawn, the of, dawn human, of time, human existence. And so yeah. it, it is an, it is a, it is, it is, it is, it is a purely human activity. We have the benefit of intellect and foresight and being able to analyze things. So we can hunt, like we have hunted things out of existence and that's bad, but that's not today's discussion. Like they can't latch on to, you're going to hunt this into extinction. Cause that's not the deal. That's not what we do. That's not what we're in favor of. Yeah. We can use our intellect to hunt and help balance populations, but we also hunt because we're humans. Yep. And humans learn, (laughs) humans learn from humans learn. Um, exactly. You, you, you hope, (laughs) but yeah, well, we, we do overall. And so, 
so when somebody comes at me or when somebody comes at you and says, I don't like your lifestyle, I don't like the choices you make for how you what you feed yourself with, um, and your lifestyle is self, it's sustaining, it's self, it's economically sustainable and it's ecologically sustainable, but they just don't like it. Yeah. They're a bigot. Yeah. That, like, the flat term, out. The term like, bigot has always been used by the wrong side for many years. It is. And so, but, <laughs> but let's, 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 and so I, I think, you know, one of the things that I, I want to start calling out is like the, like there are a lot of different ethnic groups, like from everybody, the entire spectrum hunts. And there's some cultures that hunting is, is incredibly ingrained in their, in their, in their, in their culture. To include and they're, America, yeah. And it, well, no, I'm saying in America, like in that's like what I'm in saying, California, yeah. to include like America, th- yeah, throughout. Yeah. Yep. And so to come at this, like you know, just just because I, you know, I think there's a lot of keyboard warriors that feel good about their thirty dollar donation, and because they don't do what we do, it shouldn't be allowed, or because they don't understand what we do, it shouldn't be allowed. And I think we we need to we need to call that out. And, and call out that, you know, hey, game commission, hey, senator, this is a cultural practice that is important and it's also sustainable and it's healthy. Like, end of story. I need to get you on the show more often, Mike. I love it. I think you're I think you're exactly right. And call them, you know, let's play the same game to an extent as to, yeah. you know, call them a bigot. Do you want to be is, do you want to spend your $30 being the person who doesn't like somebody else's lifestyle so you're going to try to legislate it out of existence? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly the essence of what my message has always been and, and what what makes it more offensive to me in in that context is the fact that you know for better or worse i i believe in the american system of true freedom and not in the buzzword mm-hmm. political sense mm-hmm. i truly believe that no person within my country can tell me what i can and can't do within the you know, obvious things. I'm not talking mm-hmm. about, you know, people should be free to go rape somebody or murder somebody, right. obviously. And and I, it pisses me off that I even have to clarify that, but I, I feel like I do. But right. um, it's, it's such an important concept to me. And the other thing that drives me bananas about the, the entire premise of the anti-hunting movement and, and, and what it the shadows that they hide in, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I have approached, I don't know how many organizations that are clearly anti-hunting. That, that's that's their message. They are anti-hunting. Mm-hmm. They're against trapping wolves. They're against hunting wolves. They're against hunting deer. They're against hunting bears. They're against all this stuff, including HSUS, including mm-hmm. Center for Biological Diversity. Um, I haven't reached They're out not going to talk to you. They don't. They, they absolutely don't. To include Senator no. Weiner in San Francisco... No. Uh, to include uh, some of the commission members on the Washington uh, Division of Wildlife or, or Fish and Wildlife. I can't remember what they call that. There's so many different states I, I talk about. Yep. I, I lose track. But yep. um, I, I have reached out to all of these people. And the theme is the same every time. 
They don't answer, and I get complete radio silence. And you know why that is? Because they know they don't have the data to support a discussion with somebody like me or you, Mike, that can actually hold water. They don't have it. They don't have a bucket of water that is filled with data that can can be even remotely overwhelming to, to the facts and the data that is on the side of hunting and science and wildlife management under the North American model of wildlife conservation. It, it right. can't, it can't compete. And right. it's, it's like, it's like a, like you, you like to use the sports metaphors, the, the, the football metaphor. It's like an mm-hmm. NFL team is only an NFL team because they've got the experience and, and, and the information they need to be proficient at their, at their, uh, their, their game um, versus a, a little league team. They win mm-hmm. through other me- methods. They can't compete against each other. It's the same kind of scenario when you're talking about people like us in the in the hunting space that are promoting hunting and and know mm-hmm. why we love and our, our our souls are deeply ingrained in hunting and why it's so important to us. This primal thing that dates back to the beginning of mankind that yeah. cannot be trumped by emotion if proper facts are brought to the table, but it's so much easier to sell emotion. And we get stuck with shit like this coming out of California and Washington and Arizona and Colorado and now Vermont and New Hampshire. Yeah. It's it's a lot. It's a lot, yeah. man. And that's why I think it's so important that we keep talking about it. Yep. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll, I'm throwing my plug in for the Howl for Wildlife Yeah, do uh, it, man. Website. I love it. Um, so Howl was created as a platform and a portal basically where Anytime there is a, a broad-based attack, you know, state-level, national-level attack on hunting opportunity or hunt or, or the use of science and data to inform wildlife management decisions, um, an action item can be put up there on Howl, and anybody, whether they're, quote, a member of, or not, can jump on that action item and send an email directly to, with about three clicks, they can send an email or communication, or they can actually connect to a, to, to call whoever's sponsoring this, and they can make a, a, a communication go directly to the people that are going to be responsible for deciding the future of one of these initiatives. Mm-hmm. And so it enables us across state lines to support each other. Yep. Um, Critical. You know, the Colorado issue was put up just a few days ago, and as I'm looking at today, there's already 7,000 people have 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 executed the action item to send the sponsors of that legislation of uh, an email basically saying look I'm a hunter I'm a conservationist I believe in the North American model let biology speak you know mountain lion hunting is 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 beneficial you know culturally and and from a habitat perspective blah 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 so we can say that because a lot of people don't know what to say and so this way the emails are pre-formatted they're set up and they go to the decision makers. And so I think, you know, yeah, the Colorado one, it's best if Coloradans really speak up the most. But at the same time, there's there hasn't been an outcry from thousands of people nationwide into these people's these these you know politicians inboxes before. Yeah. Yeah. From from hunters. And so this is a way for us to let them know that there is an audience out here. There's a community of hunters um, that are going to support each other across state lines, across all species. And we are in favor of making management decisions based on science. 
you know, there, there will be times where there will be management decisions that are based on science where we disagree, mm-hmm. but you know, if it's at the commission level, if it's the commission and the department at the state level, it's not a law, then it's easier to, it's easier to turn around when science indicates that it can be turned around. Um, and so, you know, things like these, the legislation or the, the, the choice to ban hunting of something because there's not enough science. It's like, no, let's advocate for the science and let the science speak. And then let the commission decide based on the science. Well so said. how for, yeah, how for wildlife.org. It's a great spot. And then you, you can also, you, you recruit points for doing, you know, for taking these action items and then somewhere yeah, down buddy. the future, you should be able to redeem those points for, uh, for either, either enter them for contests or redeem the points for cool stuff at some point. I was hoping you're going to bring that, the points up. Cause I, yeah. my, my points are starting to stack up, man. You better, you better catch Absolutely. up. But no, it's, uh, I, I love it's it. Fun. I want to, I want to throw in one extra thing that, um, okay. I, I did on the, on the, when, when you're on the how for wildlife website, um, they've added an element and I don't know if it's added to all the issues that, uh, that we're, we're up against here, but I was able to push a button and all of a sudden my phone starts ringing and I'm calling the governor of Washington, Governor Inslee. Isn't that awesome? It, it was awesome, man. I left him an epic rant on this on the voicemail. Like, <laughs> like it was a fact based. He it finally cut me off. Your message has concluded, <laughs> or, or max maxed out in time, or whatever it said. Yep. But I, I mean, I went off on on the in, in a very professional and polite way. But I, I yep. was just rattling off all these facts about. The number yep. of bears in the state of Washington versus the harvest statistics and the data that doesn't support this idea that Lorna Smith brought up about, you know, we we want to reduce the the sows taken, uh, and and that that could be you know having cubs and uh, talked about predator pits, all this stuff in like this thirty second spiel. I was like, man, nice. I wish I could be that articulate on my podcast because usually <laughs> I just sound like a monkey, but. Um, it, it's it's cool. I was I one of the things I thought when I was on that website is it reminded me of that commercial, the Geico commercial from like ten years ago. And you'll probably remember this where the, the dude's like, It's so easy a caveman could do it. And then the next scene, you know, so the, Here the I caveman am. is there. <laughs> and um, the real funny part about that, the caveman gets all offended, you know, and and uh, next thing the the Geico guy's taking him out to dinner and apologizing or whatever. <laughs> Back then, we thought that was pretty damn funny. But yeah. if, if we would have known how far this whole woke culture thing would go, would it yeah. have been that funny? Because it's it's gone to that, and it, that's what's bleeding into our hunting rights and, and our hunting space. And and that's what we've got to build the dam to prevent uh, because yeah. it's overflowing. So, Mike, I know we've, yeah. we've uh, been going on a long time here. Um, really enjoyed having you on, dude. I, I yeah, Sincerely, I appreciate, appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Um, do you want to give your give your podcast a plug real quick? Yeah. I, and I don't know if you have a website or not, but uh, no website. Keeping it simple. Uh, podcast is hunting ain't easy, and um, because here in California it ain't. Um, mm-hmm. So hunting ain't easy. Instagram, of course, hunting ain't easy, and that's pretty much it. I've got the podcast on most of the different you know, platforms. Whatever you listen to, it it should be there. And then people can hit me up on Instagram or follow the page and, and see, 
you know, half of it's advocacy stuff and half of it's uh, trail cam pictures because I've, I've got a lot of a lot of good camera. <laughs> I don't a, notice a lot of good camera placements. <laughs> Dude, you geek out on you geek out on game cameras like I do, man. I I'm obsessed. I, I I've got the the cell cams on my property, and oh, no. now I live on this property where there's all these moose and and elk and all this stuff. Man, I geek out every time it texts me that I got a new picture. I freak out and make sure I'll, I'll, I've I have stepped That's out of so meetings cool. to check it. Anyway, anyway. I digress. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome Thank stuff, you. man. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, let's keep in touch. I'd love to get you back on in the future. Um, very articulate, and I really appreciate your perspective. It's uh, it's guys like you that are going to help us win this fight, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for doing what you're doing too. It's uh, we're all in it together. You bet, man. You made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. We sure appreciate your support. This is Jim Huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at Instagram at The Western Huntsman and on Facebook at The Western Huntsman. And you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com. Thanks again. We'll see you guys next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.